Walmart is helping families access affordable goods and save on what matters most. With Walmart, families can save up to 75% off the cost of branded insulin, which adds up to more than $15 million saved across the country since June 2021. This is just one way Walmart is helping Americans save money on what matters most. Learn more at walmart.com slash better living. That's walmart.com slash better living. Lauren. Mike. So we host a podcast for Wired called Gadget Lab. We do. We do. (laughs) Yes, that is correct. (laughs) Tell the good people some more about it. Well, I think the good people should definitely tune in every week because they get to hear me roasting you. Hey, now. All right. No, really, what Gadget Lab is, is Mike and I tackling the biggest questions in the world of technology. I like to think of it as the best of Wired's journalism, but in audio form. We cover the big news of the week in tech land, but we also offer our expert analyses and opinions on all things consumer tech, whether that's mobile apps, hardware, startups, cryptocurrency. Mike, what's been a recent highlight episode for you? We did a deep dive on the group behind the massive Okta hack. We mm-hmm. also had a great conversation about Web3 and the metaverse. What stands out for you? Never metaverse you didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed our recent podcast about Peloton. Um, and recently, the legendary tech journalist Kara Swisher joined us to talk all about Elon Musk and the future of Twitter. So I guess we should tell people how they can listen to our pod. We release a new episode of Gadget Lab every week, and you can listen and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you pod. Today on Around the Coin, I interview Yuri Klarman, the CEO of Blocks Route Labs. First off, we talk about the name, how he came up with it, and his thoughts on the name. Uh, Yuri is a master, maybe one of only a few people in the world who specialize in blockchain network scalability. Blocks Route is a blockchain distribution network that helps in scaling blockchains of thousands of transactions a second on chain. So we talked about technically how they structure what they built. Um, how he splits up the consensus layer, or how he explains the difference between the consensus layer and the networking layer, and what they've done technically to build out the, the fastest information network in blockchain world. So Yuri is an awesome character, just got a, a great personality and very optimistic about the future. And he's obviously incredibly technically savvy as well. He has his PhD in computer science from Northwest University with a focus on this uh, interdisciplinary networks research. So we hear all about his story and what makes Block's route so successful. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Yuri Klarman. Yuri, I'm excited to be chatting with you, man. Uh, (laughs) Such awesome energy. Um, (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So you're running a really cool company, you Blocks Route Labs, um, spelled B-L-O-X Route Labs. I- I'd love to start there. You know, usually I'll-, I'll ask about the company background or how you get into it, but tell me about this I name. What does the you, name mean to you? start with this. Anybody out there who is starting a company, sure. think deeply and closely about the name of your company, not only if it makes sense and it's cool, but is it easy or hard to pronounce? Okay, I wouldn't go for Blocks Route Labs, which is a mouthful nowadays. So like, but you know, we're already here. We're not changing it. We'll go Blocks Route because we route blocks. I'll tell you more about it in a second. But really, like, 
take it from somebody who did it wrong, like like blocks route is so hard to say. Choose something like nifty or I don't know, something like that, something cool, something easy that like rolls off the tongue. Um, so what we do, as the name suggests, we route to blocks. So we have like a networking infrastructure that propagate blocks and transactions. So if you know crypto, if you know blockchain, etc., you know, people are making transactions, they are being sent around, blocks containing them float around, they need to reach everybody. We propagate them roughly at the speed of light. So not quite at the speed of light, but almost under 150 milliseconds or so is our average. And we do that because it helps people make better trades in DeFi. We can totally dive deeper into that. But the core of what we do is that we, you know, send stuff fast around the internet. Does that make sense? Hmm. Yeah, and you emphasize speed. Uh, is that a very important component of... So it is a very important component. We're very much about connectivity. So speed and latency is very much important. Like it's very important to that. I actually have a PhD in computer science, more specifically computer networks, and even more specifically the blockchain network layer. So basically what like I have a PhD in the connectivity of like different nodes in the blockchain network and latency and their connectivity. Speed is very important. Also who you're connected is very important to adding value there. Um but yeah, that's kind of like it's Turns out it's very, very important to see information fast and to act on it fast if you're trading. You know, just like in traditional finance, like you see something like an opportunity, arbitrage, liquidation, I don't know, a trade you want to make. And if you're the first one to see it and execute on it and capture it, then you make more money. And if it takes you, let's say, five seconds to see it, then, you know, you missed the boat. Everybody already bought or sold and kind of like you're, you're losing. Does that make sense? Totally, totally. Uh, I'm curious. So you did your PhD, I think, from 2014 to 2018 at Northwestern in Chicago. Uh, how, d- given the the unique specialization that you uh, explored with blockchain in computer science, networking within blo- blockchain within networking within computer science, I'm curious. That time frame to me seems so early to have even a phd available who is teaching that course who is enrolled in that course at that time and so how is it so it's it's funny so so i did my phd under my advisor then advisor now co-founder professor kuzmanovich but at the time you know i came to do a phd in computer networks it was really early and i actually came so i'm originally from israel i was a software engineer back then and then me and my wife had a discussion. We said, like, listen, just like working in the industry kind of suck. Like if you're a software engineer, you work all the time, you wake up, you go there, you only come back late at night. I decided to go to academia, put everything behind me, go to do fun and cool stuff in academia. And I had a really good click with Alex, Professor Alex Kuzmanovich, and decided to do my PhD at Northwestern University here. And we were doing all sorts of like just regular networking stuff. And then we had, like, what the way it works in academia, especially in computer science, so, like, you make a project, you write a paper on it, and then you kind of forget about it, and you go do something completely else. And then that paper either gets accepted or doesn't, usually doesn't, okay? Like, it's you can see, like, Nobel Prize winners, kind of like, like, keep on the wall, like, 
here's my response from nature or science saying like, no, like this is not good enough to get published. So like in science, things don't get published. It's not, it doesn't mean you're bad. They just like the way it is. So we were doing a few projects and we had a project which was really cool and really interesting, but we didn't manage to publish it anywhere that we wanted. And so we kind of like, we already had the system and we had the data and we pivoted it into something like, a blockchain system, but instead of like proof of work and hashing, et cetera, um, the idea that what it does is that it's kind of like, it scans the internet, the entire, it's called indexing, basically what Google does to tell you to which website to go. Just go, oh, go all over it and index the internet. And as a byproduct, create an index we can, which can compete with Google. Um, but again, a scientific project, this is not blockchain, but you know, we kind of like fell down the crypto and blockchain rabbit hole. So we kind of, okay, we did this. What else can we do in blockchains? And then we kind of like found a gold, a gold mine because we're networking people. I am, I think I'm the first and maybe the only one with a PhD in the, like studying the blockchain network layer. There are people with blockchain related like PhDs out there for sure. But I think I was the first with like a PhD specifically on the network there. And we were really among the first networking people to get into this space because, you know, crypto is coming like its roots and origin come from the like the cypherpunk movement of like the 90s, et cetera. Really cool people, very smart people know about crypto cryptography way better than me. But crypto people, cryptographer people, you know, there's a problem. Anything they look at is kind of, well, let's make up a zero knowledge protocol to solve this problem. It's like, they, you know, when, when you have a hammer, then every problem is a nail. It's kind of like that. Everything, mm-hmm. that, well, will come up with a trustless protocol that does this and that. It's a, and we as networking people came into the space and we were looking, our first angle coming into the space was kind of like, let's see what happened to block, how they propagate transaction, how they propagate. And this is like 2016 or so. We, you know, with the big, um, the block, the, the block size debate okay, with Bitcoin and Bitcoin cash. And should the block stay at one megabyte or should they be increased? And it's giant. Like everybody are arguing it about it. Like it's not even on Twitter. All of it is in Reddit. Okay. Because at the time Reddit was like the hot stuff and where everything was happening. Um, and you're like, wait, did you know that you actually, how big blocks are really depend how fast information propagates. If you make blocks bigger, let's say 10 times bigger, then for me to send it over the wire takes 10 times longer. So instead of everybody hearing about a new block really fast and the consensus and the blockchain work, it's kind of like, well, no, you can't make it 100x bigger because the entire thing come crashing down. Um, and that was like the starting point of blocks, right? They just like, we can propagate transactions and then we can propagate blocks and propagate really fast. And our original vision was actually on the scaling side. It's kind of like, well, listen, we can take blocks, even if they're really, really big and propagate them again, almost at the speed of light. And that's all scalability. And that was kind of like the angle we were aiming at at the time. And we built this. I call it a networking infrastructure, but for those, like, what does that even mean? Like, we have a bunch of servers, like 35 of them around the world, and they're very well optimized to hear about information and then send it really fast to everybody else. So 
if you're a miner or a validator or a pool, like you create a new block, you send it to us, boom, we kind of like broadcast to everybody else really fast. And we do the same for transactions. We'll basically, we help information propagate fast. Anyway, so we were doing this. And then um, in 2020, when this, you know, DeFi summer really happened, we had a, a bit of a, oh shit moment. It was kind of like, wait, if we see information faster, or we allow our customers to see information faster, and they can see opportunities and then send their transactions to the pools or the validators or the miners fast to capture that, then they can make more money. This is like Flash Boys for DeFi. I don't know. We were talking about Chicago earlier. Mm. Like Flash Boys are the people who put the optic fiber wire between Chicago and New York. Because if you're half a millisecond faster than everybody else, you know, you're in New York, prices crash, the market crash. You're the first one to reach Chicago. You sell in Chicago first before the prices, before everybody else, you make more money. So that's Flash Boys. They're very big. There was a very big, it's like a company called IEX. Flash Boys is the name of the book that was written about them. And this is very, so this is like in CFI and in traditional finance. And we had this like, oh, oh shit, like we can do this. But in DeFi, because DeFi is slightly different than CFI. Okay. In, in, in traditional finance, in CFI, if you're a giant market maker, if you're a big trader or something like that, CFI is point to point. So you need to be connected to Chicago, New York, London, Japan, Hong Kong, Amsterdam, Shanghai, and you're good. That's basically the point you need to be connected with. You want to co-locate, you want to have your bots or trading, whatever, sitting literally at the exchanges or at the like stock exchanges. And these are the points you want to be connected. That's where all the information goes to. This is where all the information comes from. But in DeFi, it's a completely different setup, okay? This is not point-to-point, it's peer-to-peer, right? So important information can come from anywhere in the network, right? Somebody from Australia can come and say, you know, sell 10,000 ETH on Uniswap, okay? Or from Africa or from India or Europe or the somewhere, right? Or an oracle comes out and sends a transaction, says, you know, price of ETH is now $2,000. And you need to see that, right? If you're, if you want to be a competitive actor in DeFi, you need to see trades, you need to see prices, you need, and you block comes out, right? And he said like, Oh, here are the prices. Here are the arbitrage opportunity. Here's the price. You know, maybe you want to buy at that price. Maybe you want to sell that price. I don't know. I'm not much of a trader myself. I'm a terrible trader myself, but I'm a provider of tools for our traders. And so in DeFi, you can't be connected to find you know, to five different points. You need to be connected with everyone in the network on multiple networks, actually. You need to be connected mm. to Ethereum and Polygon and, I don't know, BSD and Solana. I don't know, all these, because the same assets are being traded everywhere. And so if somebody sells something or buys something or there is a major change or liquidation, all these stuff happening somewhere, it could come from anywhere. But unlike traditional finance, you can't co-locate. You can't connect with everyone. You can't go to all the validators and say, like, you know, I'm a trader and I want to connect with you all. They're like, you're not connected with my, like, they're not willing to connect with you, right? 
you could DDoS them, right? You could you know, spam them and slow them down. And they're definitely not, a, well, everybody out there who want to connect to my node, oh, go ahead. No, they hide their nodes. They connect it to very few others out there. So you can't imagine, I don't know, jump trading and and Jane Street or something like that. Oh, let's connect our nodes to work nicely together so you can see my information fast. No, they're this is PvP, right? They're fighting against one another. So there isn't a way to get connected to everybody out there. And this is kind of like where we come in. Okay, we're like the flash boys for DeFi. We hear it from everywhere. We're connected like a thousand different important nodes out there, projects and validators and pools and miners and traders. And as I said earlier, we're almost at the speed of light. So we allow them to see information fast, act on it. Like, do I want to make a buy? Do I want to sell? Like, did, did price change? Is there an arbitrage opportunity? Is that a liquidation opportunity? All these kind of stuff. And then act on it really fast. And that just make them more competitive. And this is kind of like, it wasn't where we started when we started with blocks route. We're like, we knew the network layer was important. We built this before DeFi was DeFi. But then when DeFi happened, it was like, wait, okay. I knew it was valuable, but like I <laughs> I didn't know how valuable this until until like, okay, it actually kind of like came to fruition. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, a lot of it did. I want to ask you a, a couple of things though. Uh, because conceptually I have the the distinguishing components between CFI and DeFi, and I think most people do. Uh, tell me if you agree with this, that the difference between CFI and DeFi is the number of nodes in the network. So CFI is, you know, you mentioned Shanghai and New York, you know, there's maybe five, whereas DeFi might be 5,000 or 5 million. It so, just, so it's, it's, but conceptually, are yes they the no. same? There are like a few, let's throw three key differences between them from the obvious to the less obvious, okay? In CFI, or what is, let, let's think about the transitioning from traditional finance and CFI into DeFi. What changes? Well, in CFI, you have like order books and, and, and backroom, you know, transactions. And in DeFi, you have smart contracts on chain, right? It's kind of like that's one major difference, right? Like there isn't a single, everybody, interact with smart contracts on chain it's not that like you know it's the new york exchange or the cme or somebody else no no it's running on chain nobody controls it and you know it wasn't obvious for all of us back in 2016 2017 what it would look like but now it's 2022 like it might yeah okay instead of like of 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 um um matchmaking engines and 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 back office you have smart contracts. That's kind of like difference number one. And difference number two is that instead of like trade flow or, or price flows and trading flows um, um, happening in traditional finance and co-location, here you have transactions propagating around and blocks propagating around. So if you're trying to con- conceptualize that, then in traditional finance, you have like, Trade orders kind of like being sent from actors who participate to this like main point out there. And in DeFi, it kind of like propagates around, right? All the nodes are connected. I create a transaction. I send it to everybody I know. They kind of like send it to everybody they know. And eventually it would get to the miner or the validator or the pool. And they would kind of like 
introduce it into a block. So you could think about is kind of like more and more transactions constantly being created, floating around in the network. And every so often a block comes out, oh, we added this chunk onto the chain. And the blocks also propagate in a very similar manner. Um, side note on this. This is why also, especially when people talk about um, in Ethereum, about the mempool. Okay, mempool are transactions which people made, but they didn't made it to the chain yet, right? They're unconfirmed transactions. People trying to make a transaction, but they didn't happen yet. There isn't such a thing as the mempool, okay? At any given time, everybody have a slightly different view of the mempool. So you have like mempool views, and they're not necessarily, they can't necessarily even agree with one another, right? If I create two conflicting transactions, right? I have one ETH and I send one, I send it to you and I create a conflicting transaction sending it to somebody else. These would propagate and half or some portion of the network would think one is in the mempool and the other would consider the other, but to never both at the same time because they can't be at the same time. And so people see different views of that. And I'll add to this, to this model in your mind, that transactions are constantly being added, right? So every second, something like 15 transactions or so are being like injected from everywhere. So there are more and more transactions. And it's kind of like, think of it as like water flowing from a lot. Like by the time they think about this, well, there are new transactions are coming on the other direction. This is kind of like the flow of things. So that was the second difference between CFI and DeFi. Just that like you don't have like, like trade flow. That you have, Mm -hmm. transaction propagation and block propagation. And the third, and the least obvious of them is what I said earlier, that traditional finance is point to point that you only need to be connected with very few. And DeFi is peer to peer. It is really many, many nodes in the order of thousands and tens of thousands, maybe tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands. We're, We're past the thousands point, but in the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of nodes, connected and propagating this information. And their number is important, but they're not equal. Um, they're, some of them are a lot more important than others. Some of them are not because they have more control on the network, but if you think about economic value, you know, a validator node is a lot more important, right? If you add 10,000 nodes, you don't make the network a lot more important. But if you add another actor like Coinbase or Binance or I don't know or 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 another project like Uniswap, like their nodes are very important. Not because they have more control than other, but if you're trying to think about where economic activity is happening, they're producing a lot of transactions, they're receiving a lot of transactions, like they have a lot of stuff going on in them. So that's the third one. The difference is kind of like we moved from point to point where this is like everybody connected to a few like central epicenter points to everybody connect with everyone, which on one hand is great and it's very robust and it's why you can't shut down crypto or you could, but you basically have to shut down the the entire internet. Um, It is very, very hard. Um, So it's very robust and it's very hard to censor and like it has a lot of stuff going in its favor, but it's not the best in terms of performance, right? If you you send something to Blockstrap, we broadcast it to everybody out there, like, again, close to the speed of light. So if you want to hear about something, you listen to us. If you want to send something, you listen. 
I don't suggest that all the networks would depend on us. Okay, like I don't say, well, turn off P2P. No, no, P2P is key and important, but also leverage what we're doing, right? It's kind of like you listen to everything. Don't trust us, but listen, we'll send you stuff. Keep verifying it. Like don't trust anything that we say, right? Keep verifying all the blocks, all the transactions. But we will be the first to tell you about transactions from out there. We will be the first to tell about blocks from out there. Does that kind of make sense? In the last 10 years, over $100 billion worth of crypto has been lost or stolen, specifically because of poor key management scams and hackers. Forget not your keys, not your crypto. Software and hardware wallets have both the same vulnerability, that a single private key can be lost, hacked, or simply just misplaced. My new sponsor, the Zengo Crypto Wallet, is a total game changer, bringing wallet security to a whole new level. You have to check out Zengo, an on-chain crypto wallet with no private key vulnerability, leveraging advanced cryptography called MPC, which has, just until now, only been available to multi-billion dollar institutions. So Zengo, most secure Web3 wallet, is the best place to keep your crypto, NFTs, and assets secured. It's also fully recoverable using their biometric recovery system, and it's also just beautiful. Get started at Zengo.com and use code ATC to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. That's Zengo.com, code ATC for $20 back on your purchase of $200 or more. Mm. Yeah, I almost think of it like if you had a a crowd of people and everyone is uh, communicating to the people around them or to other people. Some people are taller, they might have louder vocal cords, and they're they're having different ranges or propagations of their message. Uh, you're, You're kind of like on a pedestal with a really loud guy, with a speaker, you know, with also flashcards so it's like you're you're utilizing kind of a different um magnitude of uh communication i I think it's a good metaphor like it's kind of like you have to add a bit more which kind of like makes it like and also give everybody like microphones connected to that so everybody who wants to say something like like can i like connect and say something which would reach everybody else super fast etc so so it is it is true but 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 yeah something along these lines how, how this is one thing uh, that has been told to me by a few people who seem very smart, but I'm curious your reaction to this. That um, in the early days of blockchain, people were mining on their computers, say in the case of Bitcoin, and there was a a really wide. Dis- there's, I'm sure there's a technical academic term for this, but a, a wide distribution of relatively equal nodes and uh, miners. Now the mining power has been consolidated so much so that there's maybe six to 12 large mining companies with huge server racks and optimized machines and optimized electrical power and everything else publicly traded. And they effectively act as a, uh, a condensing or a, um, a decentralizing effect on the network. Is that, is that, am I explaining that correctly? And is that a concern? So for the I, I think everybody like, like to like think about the good old days where everything was good but like let's remember that in the good old days like the nodes didn't work properly and everything like keep crashing and so running a node not everybody could have done it and it was a lot harder and if you remember the 2017 bubble burst it was kind of at the time just like i just want everything to work like like here's the like, can i make something and make it and it goes through right i want to buy something i want to sell. can i just make the transaction, 
sign it and make it work. That's the only thing I want. And, you know, now we're at 2022 and they're like, it works. And like, well, but why does it cost so much? Which is a reasonable like thing to complain about. Right? Like, like, okay, but five years ago, it didn't work at all. Okay. So if we're kind of like, if I'm, and I'm, I'm, I love Bitcoin. There's something very elegant. I love the Bitcoin white paper. Um, I think Bitcoin could have been a lot more than it ended up being just in terms of like functionality and et cetera. But there's a big debate around that. But what I see that ended up happening is that Bitcoin kind of like gave up on the functionality and focused on store of value. That's what the community decided that they want to do mm-hmm. with it. And to that void, kind of like Ethereum stepped in and kind of like said, if, I don't think anybody thinks of like, is ETH money? Yes, I don't know. It's the oil that you need to to kind of like use or gas that you need to use in order to utilize it. So it's obviously valuable. And with E1515.1, everything you use actually burns. So you reduce like the, 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 the supply of ETH, et cetera. So like, I think everything's going in that favor. But more important than that, it's about functionality. So nowadays, <laughs> again, nobody even talks, I think, about like the Lightning Network, et cetera, like the amount of BTC just as like wrapped Bitcoin on Ethereum, being used on Ethereum for DeFi, et cetera, is like order of magnitude larger than, than like the amount of being used in the Lightning Network. But my point here is to say that Ethereum, between Bitcoin and Ethereum, I think the function like functionality and store of value combined are kind of like being like are being utilized and people could use it for that. And so going back to your question or a part of your question, back in the old days, well, nothing, you know, everything was very, very hard. And if you wanted to buy like some, you know, you wanted to lend or borrow or stake or yield farm, all these kind of stuff, you really have had to write your own code and maybe it would work and like everything would crash. So things are a lot better than, you know, the good old days where people were running it on PCs. Um, So that's on one side, but definitely on the other side, what happened is that people or there is a centralization effect um, and it's not about proof of work or proof of stake, et cetera. Like there are a lot more people who are participating in it. It's no longer for hobbyists. Okay. Like you can't be a hobbyist miner. It's not economically feasible. Okay. You run it at home, you pay electricity for it. I'm even ignoring, you know, you need cooling for that. If you have like, um, um, economies of scale, if you had 10,000 of them, then the cost of the cooling wouldn't be 10,000 more. It would be just like a thousand more. So it's more economically to work at size. But even more than that, you pay electricity. If you collaborate with, you know, natural gas and oil and and, um, um, companies who do flaring back at sea, they're literally burning up like gas because like there is no economic way to actually ship it around the world and use that energy. So energy is basically free there. You won't be able to compete with them. So like, it would always go to like an equilibrium point and that equilibrium point is no longer anywhere close to allowing hobbyists to participate. Um, so that's for sure. Like that's in the proof of work kind of like, like domain. If you're thinking about proof of stake, proof of stake is basically, well, instead of doing mining, 
which is basically just like using a lot of computation power to do something which is just hard. Okay, like like it doesn't do anything, but it's hard. So you have to do a lot of it, and that's what makes it a competition. Um, if it was easy, like it was easy, but then a lot of people participated. So winning became harder. Okay, like it's a very simple computation. You just need to do it like 10 trillion, trillion, trillion times like per second. Um, and so where was I? So in the world of proof of stake, also a bit of a centralization pressure because you no longer need to do you don't care about electricity etc you the, the idea is to abstract away the need to actually do any computation basically depend on like how much instead of buying machine and staking that machine basically using that capital for that you just use that capital directly um but it would always be the case that like well i could either do it myself or, you know, give it to somebody else who would do it better, run the DevOps, run the operation, et cetera, and they will take a small portion out of it. And that would always be like a more economical, like easier and more secure. It's kind of like, I don't want that headache on my head and to run it at home and things would break. And, you know, I have my own job and my own stuff to do. So that's always going to happen. The idea is to make sure that the implications of centralization, whatever that means, it's a spectrum, aren't that nobody can censor and nobody can prevent anybody from participating and nobody can have an unfair advantage, let's say in DeFi or or etc. And nobody could change what already happened. Okay, like the single key property of a blockchain is that like I have a copy and you have a copy of like and everybody has their own copy of what happened and what's the state, who has how much, what's the price of everything, and everybody keep getting more updates. Oh, here's a new state. Here's a new state. Like these are more blocks added to the chain. And the idea is to make it so that changing what already happened. So I have something that, oh, you know, it's not really true. Like, like you change a block in the past. Changing that needs to be between impossible and extremely economically devastating. So like you could attack it and kind of, you know, change the last one. It will cost you so much that like you'd spend trillions of dollars to making, you know, making an interruption for six hours or something like that. And at that point, it's kind of, okay, it's kind of like it's a, it's a security budget, right? You can't prevent anybody from, you know, take a hundred trillion, trillion dollars. Not that such number exists actually, but kind of like take really big money. Like you could make a bump into that, but make sure that like you'll have to spend really a lot of money to a very small effect like you won't you can't even if you do that you can't steal people's money you can't like there's still stuff that you couldn't be you wouldn't be able to do and so that's kind of like the principle that we should be following does that make sense i think i'm i'm almost rambling here yeah do you so yeah yeah so you're 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 making the case that through the different methodologies of uh, tracking blockchain, like proof of stake, proof of work, that each one of them uh, is is effectively better with centralization. You know, in your example, that in the beginning we just wanted transactions to go through. Now they go through, and now we complain about the price of that. The upsides of the centralized mining seem to be very apparent. Hence, the the reality that they exist. You know, there's cheap energy offshore being burned for free. Uh, I wonder, is there, is there a point at which we 
is there what is the price to it? You know, I, I clearly see the upsides of centralization on mining, but I wonder if there is a possible uh, cul-de-sac or a dead end or some sort of trip tripwire that as as things get uh, consolidated behind the scenes, you know, this is not what people that interact with the blockchain normally know what's going on this is this right networking layer behind the scenes is that is there some um potential uh downside to this like the control of the miners or influence in some way that they may have or consolidation of the businesses that own them because these are centralized private companies that own these um and i just think about the incentives at that layer as so so first, just because I'm a, an academic, that I have to like this is the consensus layer. It's not the network layer. The network layer are the messages that they use in order to kind of like coordinate about. Oh, here's a new block. Here's like to agree on that. So that's like I have to. Gotcha. Say. It's 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 stronger than me. <laughs> Please do. Um, to your second point, um, I think POS is less susceptible, susceptible to that. Um. It's always a concern, right? It's kind of like you could say, well, could like maybe if like the integration of proof of work is such that, you know, three people control the chain. And so, you know, I call it the, the I had a good name, was it the, the Steven Seagal scenario. Okay, somebody comes and kidnaps their ch- kids and their families and threaten to hurt them unless they do something. And if it was Steven Seagal, he'd just go, go you know, after the bad guys and free them, but everybody else around the world would just like do what they're being told, right? So it's kind of like, it's always, you always want to think about that. And so this is why decentralization should be measured and should be considered at all times. And again, the question is, could at any given time, you could say, okay, in that scenario, somebody, you know, a state actor or somebody very, like, could some, and, and, I actually saw like an interesting conversation recently, okay, about like among like crypto founders who said like, you know, they get, we, we started getting all sorts of like profiles of developers. They look really, really good on paper. You look on GitHub, the code is really good. And then you speak with them and they turned out to be like North Koreans. Okay. And when you speak with them, it becomes very obvious. That they're like, wait, they're not <laughs> like something is very wrong here. So I, I don't think I ever saw such a candidate, but like I saw like, yeah, we started seeing these a lot, et cetera. And of course, you know, as a US company, you're not speaking with them. You're definitely not hiring them. This is like off all charts. But you could think about whether, and now with Russia and Ukraine situation, you could wonder, you know, an actor, a big actor like Russia or, or and whether that's Iran or like, it's always like the bad countries or the bad actor, et cetera. But think about, could they leverage you know, all means necessary, okay? Because it's war, right? Trade, like, could they capture the, you know, get to the people in charge of mining and pool operations, etc., um, and affect that? And you should, you should worry about that, right? And and you think about that side, but you know, if there's a war, the good guys would do it too, right? L- l- like, it, it it's kind of like, well, we must prevent Russia from doing it. Let's get ourselves. Okay, then the U.S. would go to all these people and say, "Like, listen, this is like, it's it's like by the patriot what 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 was it called, patriot law or something like that?" Yeah, exactly. Patriot Act. That and you're forced now. So the question is, can if somebody comes out there uses all necessary force and all means like they could have, 
could, what can they do and what can't they do? And for that, and you know, if there's like two people controlling it or what, like, you know, somebody could be able, would be able to get to them, right? Like it would be like a Snowden scenario, like mm-hmm. scenario, something like that. Like everybody around the world will try to reach that person and try to capture him. And so it's a bit more opaque in proof of work. It's a bit easier to see in proof of stake just because of like, like the metrics that you have in order to see it. Um, but basically what you want is a situation where, yeah, you could capture it, but you need to capture like really big businesses all around the world in different jurisdictions and not like one and not like five and not like 10 and not like a hundred. Okay. Like and individual people who are running it off. So you do want the individual people running their own nodes and running their own validators. Of course, they're going to be smaller and like not as large portion, et cetera. But it, it is a very good thing that, that they exist. And so I don't think this is something to be worried about in the context of like, oh, is this happening? No, it's not. Like, it's not anywhere close. And if somebody were to get control over the mining pools on Bitcoin, then the individual miners who care about making money more than anything else would leave these pools and start like sending their hash power towards other pools and more pools would come out. And so, so, so this is, so again, and again, in the context of, of staking, like you could always say, well, I'm not giving in, in the context of Ethereum, I'm not staking here, I'm staking with that guy, or like, like it's very easy to take it and send it somewhere else. And so this is something that you, we as a community should think about as kind of like when we design the system and when we say like, okay, what are the updates and the upgrades that we do about it? We want to make sure that we don't break that specific point, okay? So it's kind of like, what would it take to take control over it? And I think a very similar question you could go and think about um like illegal pirate media kind of thing like let's say 15 years ago okay like peer-to-peer like and uh, what was the name of blanking on the name of the protocol used no no so not in the context of crypto in the context of uh um um file sharing um um, like illegal so napster is the original one but i'm blanking on the name which which i wanted to say um but the tldr is if you had like, and it's not the same, but it's similar. Everybody and all the lawmakers had like lobbies and like, this is terrible and we should stop like, like, like the ability to stream all the movies and all the TVs and whatever there on, like on this damn internet that everybody can do whatever they want. And it's basically impossible to do. Okay. Um, the extreme example of that is in the Arab Spring. In Egypt, okay, people used um, social media in order to kind of like talk about like the Mubarak regime, etc., and how terrible it is. And Mubarak, being Mubarak, like, like you know, has total control. I don't want to to speak. Of, well, eventually he shut down the internet. Okay, the thing that happened when he shut down the internet is that everybody just went out to the streets. Okay, that did not go well for him. And so, like, like to some extent. When you have these peer-to-peer and social connections and networks, the only way to turn this thing off is to turn everything off. And that's like the nuclear option, which not necessarily nuclear for the other side. It might be nuclear for you. Okay. So 
you know, the U.S. could say for the good of every, like we can't allow for funds to transfer to, I don't know, whether that's North Korea or Iran or Russia or whatever, mm-hmm. we're turning, we're shutting down the entire internet because we can't let that happen. I don't think any U.S. regime would survive this without like, like okay, the, uh, you're being replaced like now. Okay, like the cost of this to to to, to yeah. society in, and to democracy is too high. And so, yes, you could theoretically close or shut down crypto. Yeah. You shut down the entire internet, but it's very questionable whether you can actually do it. And again, Egypt is a great example because there was somebody there who could actually do it. And he held all the guns and he held the army and he still, like, it, it still ended up with, with Mubarak being removed. And so... Yeah, yeah, a, a good lesson yes. in history, really, you know, to think that effectively what he's doing there is he's removing the communication layer between people. And so people can't exist without communicating. If, if, unless they're locked in a room alone, I mean, that's the other alternatives. You imprison everyone, but it, yeah. otherwise, people need you to be need able to, to communicate scare with people. people. And then, the, like, right? I, you can't really control all the yeah. people all the time. You need to scare them to behave in such a way. And it's it, it worked well for Mubarak for a while, but once the, the, the Egyptian people decided, like, like, they had enough and the uproar started with, with the Arab Spring, you can't really take it back. And so, but going back to our point of our discussion, it's kind of like, can I have such a lot of like sunlight all of a sudden on me? I, I hope the camera is okay with it. Um, oh, you're fine. So is it, there is a question of like, can somebody like, can consolidation behind the scenes provide anybody with like so much power that they control what happened or what doesn't happen, etc. On some, you know, funky chains that are very few actors and like like basically the dev team controls everything and they hold all the stake by with their friends or whatnot then that is the case but when you're looking at real decentralized systems whether that's bitcoin whether that's ethereum whether that's a few others um then the really answer like is it possible for somebody to take control over enough people to cause a lot of damage, what would be the cost of doing it and what would be the damage? Okay, because even in the Bitcoin network, as an example, or in the Ethereum network, like even if you had total control of everything, you could start maybe undoing transactions, but you could still, you still wouldn't be able, if somebody sent me, you know, a year ago, some ETH or some Bitcoin, you still won't be able just to take it from me. Okay, like there are also... Maybe my transaction won't go through, right? I'll try to send it and that won't go through. But you won't be able just to change everything as you see fit. Um, and that's a key point, right? The, the idea that like that even the damage that could be done, mm-hmm. what is it limited for to? How much effort? How much like what would be the cost of such an attack? And you know, between the two things. And and the proof of stake is e- even worse. Like if these behaviors, if you do such behaviors, you get slashed. You get you have less and less money. Etc. So, so I, I'm not actually concerned about this. Rather than it should be like something that we always keep at the back of our mind. That when we design stuff, we should be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. Is I like the way that you framed it out to say, what would be the worst possible thing with somebody that had full power? What could they do? That's a, that's a good sort of litmus test. Um, I, I want to ask you a little bit uh, about uh, blocks route. Um, you guys are quite a ways into it now. You're, uh, started in 2017, 
I think there's what I saw was 70 million uh, adventure raised. So seven, 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 you know, onto the races, like our last round. <laughs> um, I think we're uh, okay. We raised like a total something like a hundred million at this point. Um, okay, and maybe you know what? I'll let you finish the question before I like hop in and come. Walmart is helping families access affordable goods and save on what matters most. With Walmart, families can save up to 75% off the cost of branded insulin, which adds up to more than $15 million saved across the country since June 2021. This is just one way Walmart is helping Americans save money on what matters most. Learn more at walmart.com slash better living. That's walmart.com slash better living. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, <clears throat> I, I, when I think about what you what you describes as the co- what the company does is kind of br- eff- effectively being the fastest and most efficient broadcasting network on the consensus layer. Um, I, I do want to leave it open for you to add this, but I wanted to ask you about uh, how how you think about growing it and what are the most important things that you want to make sure that your team does right because it's, it's quite a unique business um and i'm curious if you think of it as a centralized business in that sense or if you think of it as a decentralized so these are excellent questions so let's let's start from the beginning like we explain what we do we send it fast we receive fast you know faster is better right you have opportunities but like let's let's deep dive slightly deeper into like quantifying it um, if you're, DeFi started with Ethereum and we started like all our services with what, like DeFi on Ethereum. If let's say you're a DeFi trader, okay. And you see a block and you see an opportunity, okay. Like an arbitrage or a liquidation or a price, you want to see some, you would decide this is where I sell or I buy or whatever. And you send your transaction and that transaction need to be sent around to reach the pool that control the miner or that produces the blocks in order for your transaction to take place. But if it takes you, let's say, 600 milliseconds or so, that's like, so 600 milliseconds, 0.6 seconds, okay? If it takes you 0.6 seconds just to receive that block and to see the opportunity, then in 4% of the cases, a new block was already mined by the time you saw it, okay? So when new block was mined, it included new transaction, prices have changed, liquidation, arbitrage, everything. You lost that opportunity. That opportunity, somebody else already took it because it took you so long just to see the opportunity. And, you know, maybe you react to it super fast. Literally zero time passes and you send your transaction and that takes six to 800 milliseconds. So 0.6 to 0.8 seconds in order to reach the pools and their miners, then in total, something like 10% of the opportunities are closed to you. Okay, like, like that, and, and that's a lot, okay? That means that if you're a trader and you want to be competitive, etc., 10% of the opportunities, you're too slow to capture. Uh, my favorite analogy, it's like you're playing a shooter online, okay? But you ha- you're one of those guys that have really bad lags, okay? So you see somebody, you shoot him, and they're like, wait, what happened in reality, <laughs> somebody came here, he shot you, you're dead, he moved on, and you'll catch up in a second. Okay, like, like you're just too slow, you just, the game had moved on. DeFi is the game, it already happened, and you're seeing it with really bad lag, 
and you're going to die. You're not going to be successful there because everybody else are faster than you. And we're kind of like reducing these timescales by between half a second and a second, sometimes more. Like on BSD, we give our customers blocks faster in 99% of the cases. So they hear it from us rather than the peer-to-peer network first in 99% of the second. And they hear it on average in a whole second faster. Okay. So like, j- wow. And this is B, this is, yeah, BSC. So we're under Ethereum, we're under Polygon, we're under wow. BSC, and now we're expanding to Solana. And so if you're trying to understand, like, what is our value? We open up opportunities, opportunities which right now are close to you. You'll see it faster. You do you. Okay. You're the trader or the market maker. And the funny thing, you don't even need to be a market maker or trader on DeFi. Maybe you're a big actor on CFI, okay? You're trading on your market maker on Binance and on Coinbase, okay? Market makers, for those who don't know, are the ones who are kind of like, if they think the price is $100, they'll put like buy orders up until, let's say, 99 and a half. They'll buy it cheaper and they'll say it like at 100 and a half. So they constantly think, oh, what they think is the right price and kind of create a buy and sell above this price. And they, Basically, you know, they'll buy it cheap here, they'll sell it cheap here, and all in all, statistically, they'll make money. And But these are the same assets, okay? If somebody's selling 10,000 ETH on Uniswap somewhere, that's going to affect the price, not only on Uniswap. This is ETH, which is the same ETH everywhere on Binance and Coinbase. So everybody needs to see this information. And because DeFi moved from, you know, in 2019, annual volume was like a hundred million dollar but in 2021 it was a trillion dollar okay so it's like this is really big money so even if you're not participating in DeFi, you need to see this information this is kind of like our value we'll let you see it fast we'll let you send fast i'm at the beginning i said we're also about connectivity not only latency so connectivity is important but also some customers came to us and they said Every time I send something, I touch DeFi, I send an order, somebody front run me and background. So I'm being sandwiched. Like I always lose money whenever I touch DeFi. So we introduced a service called um, um, private transactions. Basically, give us the transaction. We'll send it to the validators or to the miners and the pools. We don't send it to everybody, just to them. And they don't tell everybody. They'll add it to the next block if you pay them the fee, like, like, like just like everybody else. But nobody would see it in the mempool. Okay, this transaction, like nobody would front run you. So this is about, and we can do it because we're connected to all the validators and all the miners and all the pools. And so this is kind of like the connectivity that we do. And at this point, we're actually quite big. We're routing one and a half billion dollars of trades per day. Okay, so that means that a big chunk of all the DeFi activity is being routed through us because everybody who's big kind of like have heard about it at some point and try this out and say, oh, this is very much fa- that much faster and I'm making more money this way. And so this is kind of like what we had. We're not decentralized, okay? We're a more performance network. You could think of it if you're, if you're a DeFi ant, like a DeFi trader or something and you run your node and it's connected to the rest of the network, and you could either use a 10 gigabit link connected sitting at the data center or a, you know, 
96 kilobyte per second modem from the analog modem from the 90s, which does right. these funny noises whenever you try to connect and go like, all these kind of stuff. Yeah, and so, yeah. <laughs> so you could use that, but you'll lose, right? Every side. So we're like this additional connectivity point. Like it's kind of like, yeah, you're, think of us as another peer. You're connected to all the others. Also connect to us or also to listen to streams from our cloud APIs, API from us. But basically connect to us. Listen to everybody. Don't trust us. Connect with everyone. But would be, we will be the first to tell you stuff in like 99 point something percent of the cases. Okay. Like, so we'll send you a transaction. You'll see them from the others too, right? You want this peer to peer redundancy and to, to make sure everything is robust. But we'll tell you about these first. Then you'll hear it from somebody else. We'll just tell you a second before that. So I think right. of ourselves as a centralized right, right. like service that does that. We're not a decentralized like protocol that try to do anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I had some thoughts on can it become that way, but it's very hard because in order to run something like this, you really need a dedicated team to do it. You can't, it's not like running a node. It, you know, everybody could do it in their own home if they invest enough. No, this, you need a team. It's consciously monitored, etc. Um, so that's kind of like why what we do is valuable. And if you remember from the beginning of our conversation, um, I wanted to go to academia and, you know, n- never thought of myself as an entrepreneur and a CEO and like all of that. But when, when me and Alex and, and later my, my third co-founder, um, Eyal, um, when we were talking about this, then we crunched some numbers. Okay. This is why, this is what th- the reason people invested in us is the following. Okay. If you think like, that out of all the transactions happening out there, let's say only 10% of the transactions are, you know, DeFi-related trading transaction, benefiting, you know, seeing fast, sending fast, latency, connectivity, something. So if only 10% of the transactions are relevant, and if we can capture from our customers, they're willing to pay us, let's say on average, $10 per transaction. Okay, and we're seeing people just to execute their transaction, they're willing to pay tens, sometimes hundreds, sometimes thousands of dollars per transaction. So in average, let's say something like $10 per transaction. And right now we're supporting ETH and BSC and Polygon, which combined are doing, let's say, 20 million transactions each, each day or so. And last piece, say, well, DeFi grew by 10,000x in the past two years, let's say, seven, nine years from now, it does another, let's say only 10x bigger than where we are right now. Then if you multiply these numbers, if you say, if we make $10 per transaction, 10% of the transaction times 20 million transaction a day, times 365, 10x bigger in the future, then we could be making something like $70 billion per year in revenues. Okay, the numbers here are huge. Okay, and we're like, Nobody's doing this. Okay. Like, like we're the only networking. We build this networking infrastructure before DeFi was even DeFi. Okay. Like, like we build this and then it turned out yeah. to be extremely valuable. We knew it was valuable, but we didn't understand how. And the thing that's happening right now 
is that we have this cool network effect working in our favor. We actually have two networks effect. One of them is technical. People use us and because we're faster, but the more people who get connected to us, then the better our reach. So we're seeing more transactions. We're seeing more blockchain. So we become faster. So the more people who join, the faster we become, the more value we create. And this kind of like feeds itself. So it's very, very hard to compete with us on, on speed on, on the technicality. But the second thing, and more interesting from my perspective, is that we're routing quite a lot of trades each day. And so obviously the more projects and the block, more blockchain we support, the more value our traders get, right? We support ETH, we prefer Polygon and BSC, and we see more customers coming to us and using us because they're benefiting and they can trade on different chains and more opportunities, et cetera. But now we're seeing also the other side. The more traders that we have, all of a sudden, projects want to come and work with us and get connected with us because they want easy access to our traders and our customers and our users. If we can make it easy for them to use their DeFi products, then like they're looking for usage, okay? Crypto projects have tons of money and speculation, but the hard thing, the really hard thing that everybody are really trying to get is real actual usage, not wash trading, not pretending, not, you know, playing with the metric, actual users using the DeFi product. And so all of a sudden we see like the more projects we work with, the more traders we have, but also the more traders we have, the more projects that, come and work with us. And this is kind of like how we're expanding even further and further. Um, and so this is kind of like really feeds itself really nicely. This is like, we're moving to the work, like projects are willing to pay us like basis points over the, like the volume that we send to them. And this is for us, it's kind of like the Got crown it. jewel of our offer of kind of like where we're heading and our business model, et cetera. So we're providing value both to the traders and users who use us and the projects, okay? So we kind of like, and we capture a bit of value from both, right? It's kind of like, I don't want to charge a lot from the traders. I want them to participate. And I don't want to charge a lot from, I want both. And it kind of like feeds like both sides really, really nice. Um, and so right. you, to your to the last piece of your question, where are we going from here? Um, we're now releasing, so similar uh, along these lines, um, Serum, on, on top of Solana is a really good project. And it has like tons of liquidity, let's say one over or a third of the liquidity of Uniswap or something like that. Or at least, I don't know, pri prices of everything came crashing in the past month or so. So I haven't looked it up, but that order of magnitude. So a third, but the usage is much smaller. Okay. It's like one over 30 because it's very hard to trade on it. Like it's, it's order book. It's on top of Solana. It's very like, like it's very valuable. But if you're trading on, Ethereum and BSC and Polygon and all these EVM compatible chains um, or EVM chains, then you don't have the setup to trade on. So like the way you write transactions is different. The way you sign them is different. You need to listen to the Solana network, which you don't have a setup for. So everything is different and it's hard. So we're building this like API that allows people to just utilize Serum on top of Solana. So anybody who's big in trading, they're like, here's an easy way for you to make money that way. We'll be working with like our job is to try to help them and make as much money as they can and utilize Serum as well for their trading. 
and we're very excited about that. That's like the biggest thing that we're working. Literally this week, we we are releasing, or yeah, we're releasing our, er, you know, to our earliest users who are like some of them are good friends of ours in terms of like have been using our custom, been our customers for a long time. We're giving it to them. They're providing feedback, what works, what doesn't work, as well as they as we wanted, etc. So this is like the, say the name of it again. S E R S E R U M U O. Got it. Um, um, that's, this is where my my Israeli accent like trips. It's kind of like no, it's not serum, it's serum or something like that. So yeah, that one. Live with it, guys. <laughs> my accent sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, so for us, we're and so so like in terms of product, that's the next thing that we're releasing, and we're now we're working with other Solana-based projects. We're kind of like okay, providing similar similar offerings. But now that we're talking about it, um, I think the biggest challenge is going to be moving from being a small team. Like we close by the end of 2021, we were 16 people or so. We did really, really, really well in 2021. Almost everybody are developers, like it's kind of like without marketing, without sales, etc. But now we're like we already doubled our team size, and we're going to double it again very soon. So then to move to keep being very agile and being super nimble and very much on top of everything, but at the same time building marketing, building customer success teams, building sales, working at the large like 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 more DevOps, more developers, more engineers. It's kind of like okay, we have more teams. We're more around the world now. Support. So this is the challenge, which is, I don't think it's it's specific to crypto, but it's always a challenge, okay? Like moving from a small company to a medium-small, right? We're not getting that much bigger. We're still going to be like less than 100 people, let's say, definitely in the upcoming year or so. But that change is, is I think, going to be the thing that we'll, we'll work hard to make it right. That isn't an easy change, um, but any growing company kind of like needs to grow through that. So like, we're doing it. I'm, I'm glad with the results so far. Um, but that's, I think, the biggest thing that, that we're facing. Mm. Man, what an exciting project to be a part of. It's so cool how it perfectly fits, through no coincidence, your background and your unique background in a space that at the, at the time, I'm sure you just couldn't and you didn't have any clue as to the gravity uh, and an impact worldwide that it would have. You know, I'm sure you've spent countless nights uh, sitting in the lab or in the office somewhere and just thinking, what the hell am I going to do? And sure enough, it's like the networking layer on blockchain so, happens to be an incredibly, incredible. So let, let's, let's, so hey, it, it does, everything fits really, really well. But let's like, let's, let's, let's be very real. Let, let's open it up to the public. Let's, let's look inside what's act, how the real work actually works. Okay. So um, we've been doing this, okay? So we build the network infrastructure and DeFi happened. We're kind of like, we're doing all of that and we're like building features for paying customers. But it was actually, um, you know, Hasib from Dragonfly, Hasib Kurashi. So I yeah. love Hasib. He led our round, our, our previous round and Dragonfly in general are great. And I, I love him specifically. He's, I think our best invest, like the best investor that we have. And if not the best, then one of the, our two best. So he's a friend. He's awesome. He's really great. 
And the reason that we, I, I, or we allowed him to lead our previous round, it's kind of like, I had really like late night numbers, like 1 a.m., 2 a.m., like seeing with him, kind of like really late night. And kind of like, we were doing all of that, but we didn't have like a crystallized understanding of what is it that we do, even while we were doing it. And he was like very helpful. Like we had like, he's like, listen, here's how you should be thinking of yourself. It's kind of like, you're building the network layer that everybody else needs. Okay. You're, if you're a networking guy, these are like the middle boxes that of the internet that allows everything to actually be very, very fast and actually be effective. And when you go to Amazon, it doesn't go actually all the way to the other side of the world to give you a, an image. It brings it like literally from next door. So it's fast and everything is smooth and easy. Same for Netflix, right? You scroll through the different shows and whatnot, and everything seems to be working really well. And there are a lot of like small caching and techniques that are being used for that. So we're doing a lot of that for blockchains. But I want to kind of like, if the audience is listening to this, and it's kind of like, it's not like we had, oh, we have like, oh, here's the vision. And we just like drove right there. It's like, okay, we had a goal. Yeah, yeah, everything yeah. Worked. No, in reality, it's kind of like you come up with something and then it doesn't work. So you move it a bit. Okay, okay, so we do this. And it worked, but then this thing is, and so, and eventually, this is all very anticlimactic. Okay, there isn't a point where you say, okay, we did it. It's kind of like, okay, so this happened, but now this thing doesn't happen. Okay, so now we do this. And I think this is where my academic actually background is actually very helpful. People talk about like the ivory tower. If you're talking about the ivory tower and how everything is easy there, you have no idea what you're talking about. Basically, your job is like, you write a paper and the first time you submit it somewhere and it gets rejected and you're devastated. It's kind of like, wow, but it was such a great idea and the reviewers are morons and they don't understand anything and et cetera. And then, you know, a year afterwards or a few months after you send somewhere else and you get rejected again. It's like, Okay, it's still hard, not as hard, but it's still very hard. And after a few years, you're like, you have like an elephant skin. It's kind of like you send it, kind of come back and they said, no, it's kind of like, I don't care. You're, you're just judging through. Okay, you're going to make it and you don't care if any, every, everybody in the world could say no to you and you don't care and everything could, you'll try it and it would fail. So you'll change it and it would fail again. So you change it again and you change it again. And this is like these, these two things are very, very similar. The only thing is that like, okay, I'm going to do this and I know I'm going to get there. And there is very like, I might be some, you know, you head to Japan and you find yourself in like, I don't know, in Singapore. Like, I don't know, you're heading somewhere, you reach somewhere else, but you keep on going. And this is kind of like, there isn't a point where you made it and it's not you start with a vision of what you're going to do. Now you start with this smart idea that you like a lot and you try to do it. Right. We, we started with skating and we're going to do this and allow blockchain to see other So we built the entire thing and then it didn't work, but then this other thing worked out and then the next thing worked out and then it didn't again. And again, you keep zigzagging and you make progress. And then you're kind of like, you look back and say, well, you really did make a lot of like progress during this time. It's like how far you've got, but there, I don't know. Maybe it's different for other people. There is literally no point of like climate. Like, okay. We made it kind of thing. So like, yeah, we like at that point, you knew you're going to make it, but you're worried about like these other three things and then you do them, but then you're worried about like the next stuff. And just like, re- it really is a journey and you just like keep on going. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it, not only it makes sense. It's been my experience multiple times over in, in starting companies. Uh, do, there, there is a spectrum of how confident 
how consistent the initial idea is to the fruition of the idea. Generally, simpler ideas tend to stay the same. Whereas like you have a more complex idea, well, there's more nuance to it. So it ricochets around the, uh, the idea chasm a bit and it, it pops out. But regardless, it's like moving forward is, is the only option. So I, I think I can see the parallels between that and academia. Yeah, yeah. It's, the, it's sure. very similar. And, and I, I think that this should, this should give, uh, maybe it's the wrong thing, but it's like it should give hope to people. It's kind of like nobody actually comes with a goal and start and actually get it. This is not how life works. And there, it's, it's kind of like you start something and you have no idea what you're doing and you continue going and you still don't know what you're doing. Yeah. And then you continue going. And again, like, okay, our company is fairly big now. We're making a lot of millions of dollars and we'll be making even a lot more millions of dollars. And we still don't know what we're, it's kind of like, yeah, we know what we do here, but here are the next problem. It's kind of like there's always more problems that you're going yeah. to face. And that's just it. The reason it's like it, it never changed. Just work with what you got. And like, my, like anybody could do it. You just need to totally. continue to do it. Yeah. Well, I think anyone, when you say it though, for everyone that it, it, it is different. True, true. Definitely. You, know, you, you're, you're called to do this. Like your life path is down here, but the, the same metaphorical pattern is true. It's like, okay, if I'm, if I feel this calling in this direction, like I can see something that can be better, or I understand the jigsaw pieces enough to build something, the the something that you create by building a few pieces together unlock the next phase. And also with time, because as you build something, the world reacts with some way and it opens up new problems that you can uniquely solve given your unique vantage point. I think if anything, people underestimate their unique vantage point. Like one of the things I ask all guests in pre-show is given your unique life story, what insights or trends or, or beliefs do you have? And that's so, so powerful. And it unlocks uh, often for people such a insight because we only have our own life to see through. You only have your senses, your thoughts. And so what you think is true from late night reading on Quora or Reddit or whatever, you, you kind of assume that, oh, everyone knows this. But in reality, like a very, very small percentage of people know this. And also the other thing that you know a lot about. So combining them together but, is, that's where the magic, that's, so create, I, I that's totally literally agree. creation. And let's talk about this for a second. Yeah, you could, let's delete part of the technical conversation from earlier because this is way more interesting. But like something, so... While it's true that my understanding of the network layer and I'm smart and blind, academic and et cetera, but I'm a CEO, okay? As a CEO, most of what I've, like, of my superpowers come from, you know what I did when I was like 22? For a year, I was a bartender and a waiter. And everything I know how to do as a CEO came from doing that, okay? It's about being nice and, you know, having small talk and being able to communicate with a bunch of strangers in all sorts of, like, awkward situations and get friendly with them. And while the original idea of Blockstrad, it kind of came from my PhD dissertation and it sounded really great, et cetera, et cetera. All the, like, I can't even touch our code. I don't even know where, where the repo is. Like, I'm not allowed to do any of it. <laughs> like, our engineers, Ayal, my COO, who runs the entire, like, my job is like, I understand what is it that we do. I understand it. So I can explain it. Okay. Better than ours. I can't, I can't actually code it. Okay. I don't even know what the code looks like at this point, but it's kind of like, I can talk about it. I can explain it and I can be ex like, I can be excited about what is it that we do. 
And I think that if you have like, if, if you have it into you, like, oh, it would be cool to do something, like find a bunch of other people who have very different characteristics. Like it's kind of like, I do this. Eyal, my COO, is a guy with two feet on the ground. He's in his mid-50s. He had like expertise, like performance expert running like, like field engineering in like startups for the past, I don't know, 30 years or, or something like that. So he runs that and he does budget and he does all the stuff, which I'm kind of like, I have, it's not that I, like, he doesn't know it either, but I don't even want to know how to do it. And he's kind of like, okay, that's it. Yeah. And like, everybody should play on their strength and their superpowers. And again, it's kind of like you would say, well, you have a, I am very into crypto, a lot more than all of our engineers and, or almost all of our engineers, et cetera. This is kind of like what I, but I do just a small piece of what is that we do. And so going back to your point, like, yeah, people, what, what does it take to start a company? Like, just do it. Just like, like waste, I don't know, a thousand dollars or so on, you know, signing up and, you know, creating an entity. And don't do it locally, spend another $500 and make sure it's like a Delaware company or something like that. And turn out like, you don't know what you're doing, but nobody, like, you know, when we created the company, we had no idea what we were doing. And we were talking with investors. We didn't know what we were doing. And when we started to like get customers and what to offer them, we didn't know what we were doing. But you keep not knowing what you're doing. You mess it up at the beginning, but you get better. And then you do something else and you mess it up again, but then you get better. And that's just that. And so... Like I, I think people underestimate their ability to go out there and create new things um, because it, it, it sounds scary, I think. It's kind of like, well, I don't know how to go about yeah. it. And that's, like, that's exactly, you don't know how to go. So you go when you do it. Like, like Google, how do I start a company? Yeah. And you'll find a bunch of answers. And you go yeah. and do it. And again, you, you mess it up a million times. But, you know, you mess it up, you, you know, change or correct course. Basically, continue correcting course forever. And you make progress. Uh, yeah, so true. It's, especially now with Google, it's like just type in your problem and <laughs> read and just put in the time. <laughs> you can get 90% of the way there. Uh, are you writing, Yuri, online? Are you Twittering? So I'm, I'm on Twitter. Active if, on any if, if, basically, if you Google Uri, U-R-I and blocks, right? Like, like there's only one Uri Klarman out there. That's me. And so like you can find me on Twitter. I'm tweeting a lot about what we do. Also a bunch of like, Random not crypto nonsense because it's very hard to stop tweeting on crypto nonsense. Um, so follow me, follow Blocks Route. If you're into DeFi and into trading, or the, like reach out to us, speak with us. Like we can help people mm, be better traders or at least have a better setup. Okay, so like like I'm not. If you're a small time trader, etc. Like I don't know if you actually want to play this game or not. But if you're a big time like trader, then everybody else are using if you're not using us you're like being left behind <laughs> i love it it's like the spinal cord of the of there's something along these lines that's a good past. like that's a good uh, metaphor i like that yeah yeah awesome man well I, I absolutely love talking to you and congrats on the progress and i hope you uh encounter and overcome many obstacles thanks mike this was super fun all right bye you. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. 
I'm Richard Serrett. Join me on Strange Planet for in-depth conversations with the world's top paranormal investigators, alien abductees, Bigfoot trackers, monster hunters, time travelers, and more. The handler one day told her this whole thing about how they've been terraforming on Mars, and they're building a colony, and they're recruiting specific people of specific bloodlines and specific talents and skill sets to go onto the planet. On Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, we're redefining reality. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.